0: to the Nick and Nolan show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host Nick Bat
1: Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way.
0: and Bruce Nolan
1: I once worked with a guy for 3 years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had.
0: Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. Along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And today we are going to dig into something that I am very excited about. Yesterday's pod about the running backs. That was a bit of a passion project for Bruce. And it kind of started you and I were having a conversation. I think Joe Marino was in the conversation. We were talking about the running backs don't matter stuff. And, you know, it just kind of, it kind of, uh, it, it, it uh, inspired. There it is. It inspired you, hallelujah, to take up this. I mean, uh, goodness, that huge twenty five hundred word uh, piece that you dropped on Buffalo Rumblings. Right? This conversation today is something that I was inspired about, and it, we 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 actually you know tried to flesh out a little bit so you would even have some clarity about what I wanted to talk about. We had a pretty lengthy text message exchange where I I would ask you questions and you would give answers and it was like, ah, it's not really what I'm looking for though. So today we hopefully will, will we will get into it and, and here is where we're coming from or here's where I'm coming from on this and what Bruce is going to try to help us understand. We got Stefan Diggs, right? In this blockbuster trade of the off season. And uh, maybe maybe the DeAndre Hopkins trade was the blockbuster, but this is, you know, kind of one in, there's one and 1A. So we got a terrific receiver and people are very excited about us. It's pretty much universally being said, you've got a great player. It's going to help you on the field, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Well, here's what I wanted to know. Receivers are guys who are you know their job is to get away from the defender that is on them in a sense right now the defender could have different responsibilities maybe the defender's job isn't to stay with that receiver the entire play just because they lined up across from them or lined up closest to them at you know uh, before the snap but either way that receiver is trying to do something. They're trying to get open. They're trying to be available for the quarterback to utilize. And there's all sorts of different moving pieces about the kind of defense the team is in, about what is the route concept on that side of the formation, about what is the offense actually trying to accomplish, what kind of offense is run, all of that sort of stuff. And I wanted to just get into it a little bit, create a foundation of understanding. So maybe we could appreciate a little bit more the things that Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley, and or John Brown are all individually good or valuable at and how they contribute to what offenses are trying to do through the passing game. Okay, that's a long-winded opening to set the stage for where we are. Big picture, Bruce, this is not going to be the easiest thing to do
1: with just audio. No, this is really a conversation that is better had in a visual medium because you can draw it out. My ability to weave a picture with my words will be very well tested today, (laughs) and we're going to try to do our best to establish something in the audio frame that really should be best done visually so you can see it and you can draw it out. We're also going to try to stay at least reasonably high level so we don't get into the into super nitty-gritty X's and O's. So let's start with, I think,
0: the before we even talk about the individual players, we have to talk about the first person who is making a decision whenever an offense and a defense are going at each other, the offense's goal is to score points, gain yards, all of that stuff, right? And the first person who is contributing to anything that is happening on the offensive side of the ball is the guy who designed the play that the players are going to run, right? And that is, you know, falling under the category of route concepts, right? The, the person who designed the routes on one side of the formation, or if there was only one player on that formation, what they were having them do is designed to do something. And it's, it's, it seems like it's either trying to beat a zone defense or a man defense, but I will let you take it from there and kind of educate us with with what's happening at that stage.
1: So really important upfront to establish that you can win in the NFL with people and you can win with scheme. How talented your people are is indirectly correlative to how often you have to win with scheme. If you have the most talented players in the world, you can afford to have some scheme mistakes. You can afford to have some badly drawn plays. You can afford to call the wrong play. You remember Tecmo Super Bowl, Nick? Absolutely. Ready, now, put, 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 put. Do you remember when you called the right play, the identical play on defense that the offense called? You would get an all-out blitz that would really mess up what they were doing? Yes, There is an element, this is going to be, this is my hot take for the day, I guess. There is an element of rock, paper, scissors to play calling that fandoms are not comfortable with. There is an element of that. I'm not saying it is rock, paper, scissors. That's not what I'm saying. But there is an element of that to play calling offensively that fans aren't really comfortable with because if you think that on third and thirteen they're going to run a specific type of defense because you've seen this tendency and you call up a play that is based on that tendency and they call something different. The play that you called, its possibility of success gets lowered. That doesn't mean it doesn't doesn't succeed. One of the reasons why finding a quarterback who can play outside of structure is all the rage nowadays is because it allows you to make mistakes as an offensive coordinator. It allows you to screw up as a play caller, call the most inefficient play or a less efficient play and still succeed on that down. So you can win with people and you can win with scheme. And the plays that you call are in very significant ways informed on offense by what you think they're going to do on defense. I mentioned this in a tweet and you and I talked about it. After the first New England Buffalo game this past year, one of the ways that New England got kind of a little bit messed up is that they had a, a script called. And they had a plays that they wanted to get called that were based on the idea we were going to run a lot more zone than we did. And we came out and ran a lot more man than they were expecting. And that kind of messed them up a little bit. And they have to adjust because the things they were planning on calling, they, the things they practiced are going to have a lower propensity for success because of the defense that we're showing. So you can win with scheme, and part of that is that. So it's almost like there is an underlying game of rock, paper, scissors going on, but that's being multiplied by whatever your talent level is on offense, Minus whatever their talent level is on defense, if that makes sense. So how effective your rock, paper, scissors, that subconscious kind of behind the scenes rock, paper, scissors is. How much that matters is based on how talented your offensive personnel is relative to how talented their defensive personnel is. I I, that all makes
0: sense to me. I, I can live with all of that. Here is my. I have, I have two follow-up questions, so I guess I'll stay in this scenario first, and then, and then we'll take a step back and kind of go to something I actually think is a little bit before this. But because we're already here, let's go this route. So you call a play. I, you, I'm going to let you fill in the blanks with whatever play it was. The defense was in the perfect defense to defend that play again you can provide us with the examples that are going to make it easy for you to explain but i'm i'm sure that that happens dozens of times every sunday probably you know multiple times maybe tens of times every single game where the offense calls a play and the defense picked the right thing to to beat it on paper like schematically to beat it but the offense may still succeed they may still gain yards they may still have a successful play is that happening because the offensive player is running away from them? They're just so fast that they, even though there was supposed to be another man in coverage, you know, that he didn't get there. Is it because somebody abandoned a responsibility? Is it because somebody didn't know what their job was? Maybe it could be any of these things could be a reason, but can you give us a little bit of sort of what are the options that we could use to select on this multiple choice test What is happening in a situation where the defense was positioned
1: correctly, but something didn't go right and the offense was still successful? So I mentioned that you can win with people and you can win with scheme. I want to draw some synonymous phrases here that will help wrap our head around that. And it'll help answer this question. When you win with scheme, it's about opportunity. When you win with people, it's about execution. So the scheme is designed... To give the offense or give the defense, regardless of what we're talking about, the opportunity to be successful. But they still have to execute. You and I talked about this a lot when it came to Brian Dable. If John Brown is wide open and Josh Allen misses him, that's not a Brian Dable problem. Brian Dable did his job. He got the opportunity in front of the player. Josh Allen missed it. And this is a lot like this concept we're talking about right now, which is, let's assume in this example, we're going to draw an example right here, okay? The smash concept is a zone beater concept. And what a smash concept is, is it, let's say you have two receivers lined up to the right of your formation. One of them is on the boundary on the line of scrimmage, and one of them is slightly inside in the slot, okay? So we're setting the stage. And this concept that's happening on the right side of your line of scrimmage here is that the outside receiver is running a hitch. Maybe that's a five-yard hitch, just quick stop route, turn around, he's a hitch Great. The slot receiver is running a corner route. So if you can imagine it in your mind, this creates a high-low for the quarterback. A lot of these scenarios are designed to create binaries for the quarterback. They do this, I do that. They do something else, I do the other thing. And creating binaries helps put the defender in conflict. You and I have talked about this a lot when it comes to run pass options. It simplifies things for the quarterback because the quarterback looks at one player and goes, okay, if he does this, I'm going to do this thing. If he does the other thing, I'm going to do the other thing. He creates a binary. The defender has two choices. And depending on what choice that defender makes, the quarterback does the other thing. So, This smash concept is a zone beater. It is designed to put a boundary zone corner in conflict. That corner has to decide whether or not he comes up to cover the hitch route or drops back to cover the corner route. And then the quarterback makes the alternate decision. So that corner on the side there, if he's in zone, might end up with two people in his zone. If this is a cover three, he's going to end up with two people in his zone. He has to make a decision now. Do I go up and cover the hitch or do I go back and cover the corner? Typically, he would go back and cover the corner. You're probably going to cover the deeper route and the quarterback will throw the hitch. But that's a smash concept, okay? And again, we're keeping it really high level, but that's a smash concept and it's a zone beater to the right side of this formation. Well, what if they called man on that play? even worse what if they called what if they called man and the receiver who's running out of the slot is actually doubled with a safety and it's press well that's not going to work very well anymore because hitch routes not overly effective against press because there's not distance amount to separate and the corner route is now double covered so that's probably not going to work schematically. That doesn't mean it won't work, though, because we see all the time where somebody manages to beat double coverage or someone manages to get open on a five-yard hitch route when they really probably shouldn't because they got the cornerback to look a certain way and they ended up in the blind spot and they hooked it, and now there's three yards of separation Then there shouldn't be. So the defense called the right coverage in that case to make sure that that concept was minimized because, again, it's not a binary. I said there's an element of rock, paper, scissors, but it's not the only element, right? The defense called a coverage that is not weak to that. It's a little bit like, goodness gracious, this is going to sound really weird. My nephews are Pokemon people. And when you use attacks in Pokemon, right, you use an attack in Pokemon and the character might be weak to that attack. And it does extra damage. That doesn't mean that none of the other attacks do no damage. That means the only thing you could use to damage it. It just means that one is particularly effective. It's the same way with this. If that person would have called a zone, if that defense would have called a zone at that time, that route concept would have been more effective. That doesn't mean it's not possible to be effective if they call man. It's just less likely to be effective if they called man. And that is where the talent comes in. If you have Stephon Diggs, I trust him to get open on a five-yard hitch route against press man a lot more than I trust Duke Williams because Stephon Diggs is a better receiver than Duke Williams. So even though the underlying rock, paper, scissors did not go in our favor, that doesn't mean the play won't. So real quick question,
0: in that situation where the quarterback takes the ball and this is, you know, split second awareness and recognition. So maybe, you know, there's not that many quarterbacks that actually can do this, but let's say you have a play called, there's your route concept, blah, blah, blah. And you take the snap and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, they're in the perfect defense. Okay. In that case is a quarterback, maybe going to say to hell with my reads, where is Stefan? Because he's the only one who I believe, you know, maybe you're blessed and you have multiple people who you believe would beat their the the coverage that they're running into. But, you know, is it is it irresponsible or expected or just kind of uh maybe sometimes this happens, maybe other times it doesn't, where a quarterback is going to recognize the defense and just look for the only player Or one of the primary players that they believe that, okay, this is a situation. We're not in the best play situation. I got to find the guy who is just going to beat his man, like Gronkowski, for example. You know, I can just imagine, I can see him snagging the ball out of the air at double coverage multiple times in my mind's eye that he did that to us over situations where it felt like he should have been covered. But Brady went to him anyways. Is that a situation where? You know the quarterback is doing that because they're they're looking for the premier talent, or is that necessarily not really what they're supposed to do?
1: This is the part of the podcast where I have to be very, very, very careful what I say because I don't know what they're coached to do in that scenario, and I don't want to speak to it. I know that you can see on tape what they're doing, but there's a gap. There's always a gap between what someone does and what they were supposed to do. We can understand a lot of this stuff, but. Josh Allen very well might be coached this year that if you don't like what you're seeing, just know where Stefan Diggs is. He'll probably get open. He might be. Or they might say, you know what, Josh, if it's not there, just run it. I don't know is the answer. And I understand that I don't know makes for really bad content, but it's the truth. The truth is that I don't know what Josh Allen is being told to do when he looks and they're in the perfect coverage. Now, there's a chance And I will opine on this. There's a chance that if he has a zone beater like Smash run to the right side of the formation, that there might be a man beater like a Yankee or a Mesh over on the left side of the formation. So, this might the coverage might dictate the chronology of his reads. If he puts someone in motion prior to the snap, and sees that it's man or thinks that it's man, he might start his reads with the man beater instead of the zone beater. Again, these are all possibilities, but I don't know what he's coached to do. I know what some examples of some things that people do are, but I don't know what necessarily he's coached to do in that particular play.
0: Okay. Well, that's all, that's all still very, very good information. That's all very good and helpful. Okay. So here's, let's take a step back real quick. You, you've given us some, some, groundwork and some examples i think we can operate off of one of the things that i've heard you say before is the zone beaters and man beaters you've said it today uh are those primarily when you talk about route concepts you know things that are happening between multiple players running routes through the same area of field are they typically the combination are they typically either one or the other
1: Yeah. I would say in the majority of cases, they're designed to have success against a specific coverage. Yeah. Is a zone beater, I mean, pretty much always designed to
0: hopefully be putting a man in conflict, or is there another way to beat zone coverage with a schematic route design?
1: Yes. So a lot of times you're putting somebody in conflict. That's a lot of what zone beaters do it's the foundation on on which an rpo was actually built it's the same concept as the foundation on which an rpo was built this idea that you can create binaries for a quarterback because when you do that you you help speed up quarterback processing because you create binaries he goes left i go right he goes right i go left okay that's easy enough and the college game started this whole thing but it's not necessarily the only way i'll give you a great example so the flood concept is about numbers it's designed to create three V2s or two V1s in a zone. I'll give you a great example. So if you think they're running, if you think they're running zone, okay, and let's just say it's, it's basic Tampa 2 and you have a shallow drag, a deeper drag, and then a corner and all three of those routes end up on the same side of the field, you're trying to create a three V2 there you're trying to create a scenario where there's two defenders on that side of the field and three receivers because then somebody, a misstep here or there, somebody's going to be open. Now, the downside of that is that means that you have receivers on one side of the field because think about in order to do this, you have to have a receiver cross over the side of the field. So you have to have, if you think about it this way, let's say you had, let's say you had duo to your left. You have two receivers to your left. You have a a tight end that's playing off of right tackle, okay? And it's a three-man route concept, and it's a flood. So that tight end is running a corner, and then your two receivers are running drags, one of them shallower than the other. All three, if you think about it this way, all three of those players are going to end up on the right side of the formation, all of them. And the idea is to hope that... If you're able to maybe have a running back over there on that side that kind of holds a linebacker in that spot and holds some coverage there, the idea is that you're going to have three on two, hopefully, on the right side of your field. The downside is those receivers have to run all the way across the formation to get there. It's a long developing play. So if the quarterback gets pressure, those are not going to work super well because, yes, you got your three on two, but you got it five seconds into the play and your quarterback's already sacked by now. So yes, there are other ways to do it, but typically it's about numbers or it's about binaries. And so the flood concept is an example of numbers. You're trying to win the numbers game. But in a lot of cases with a zone beater, it's about a binary. You're putting a defender in conflict. You're making him go left and then you go right. That's that's
0: terrific. So what about a man beater? Is there multiple ways? I would assume so. But you know, what are the ways in which a man beater is designed for the receiver to get the player whose responsibility is to cover him out of position and get himself some room and be open.
1: So I think one of the most common and most understandable man beaters is the mesh concept. This is where you have two routes that converge at a specific play and a specific point on the field. That could be very early in the down or that could be very late in the down. You oftentimes hear these referred to as pick plays when you're watching them on television. A New England... Ben! is famous for getting Julian Edelman open (laughs) via some big plays. And we can talk about the legality of these plays anyway, but this could happen very early in the down, right? This could happen very early in the down. You can have two players running on the same side of the formation and those routes cross over. And then the defense has a decision to make whether or not they're going to switch or stay. A lot of times on the goal line, you'll see if you have a man beater called, the defenders will switch. Cause those running backs sorry, those wide receivers will run routes that immediately converge. They cross over at the very beginning of the, of the play. And then the defenders don't want to be a step behind in man coverage, which is what the route was designed to have them do be a step behind in the coverage. Cause they have to stop for a second or shuffle their feet or somehow get a little bit behind from a chronology standpoint. And then the other guys to step ahead. So the defense will switch. At that point, to see to it, it's a lot like um, a pick play in basketball. You know, whether you switch or whether or not you follow in basketball is a big part of how you defend the pick and roll. Am I going to switch on a pick and roll or am I going to follow on a switch on a pick and roll? It's the same way for the mesh concept in football. Now, if it's a mesh concept and the concept is markedly into the route, maybe it's something where it's double drags right? they're drags on either side and those kind of points sort of converge. They kind of use the ref as sort of, okay, we're both going to run to the ref, right? We're going we're gonna to cross over our routes at the ref. Well, then that's a little different. They're probably not going to switch. The defense is probably not going to switch because they're already in full speed and they're already running and chasing at that point. At that point, you just have to hope that your corners are fast enough to stay on these people for these long developing routes and you hope that the pressure gets home.
0: So what are you trying to do? Or is it, is it pretty much, let's say you have a three wide receiver set, but there's one guy on, on one side of the field by himself or a two wide receiver set. And there's only that guy is out in a route by himself. Okay. So, you know, we've talked about route concepts. Whenever you have another player that the defense has to be accountable for in a similar area of the field, and then defenders kind of have to, you know, decide who's primary and what are you are you gonna go high? Are you gonna go low? Whatever, whatever. What about whenever you have situations where there's only like one guy on one side of the field? What is happening? I mean, that's the way that we're talking about it sounds like that's a stupid thing to do because you have this opportunity. To put other guys over there and make things far more complicated. But still, you see guys run routes and and sometimes be open and big plays happen, you know, streaks, all that kind of stuff happening on a side of the field where there's just one guy by himself against the defense over there. What are you trying to do, or what's the what's the goal and and, and what's happening in that sense?
1: Okay, so the player you refer to is commonly referred to as the X receiver or the split end. And it's typically where you would run any single route, single route concepts. And you mentioned that you can put another receiver over there and make it more complicated. You don't always want to make it more complicated. Sometimes you want to do that. But if you trust man on man, it's a little bit like playing ISO basketball. I, I I know I keep making, I keep making analogies here, but it's, it's important. Playing ISO basketball is valuable when you have James Harden. Playing ISO basketball is not effective when you have Bruce Nolan. I'm not gonna dribble somebody down, and shake them, and get and get my spacing correctly, and get my create my own shot. I'm not gonna do that. But there are receivers in the NFL who can, and as such, ISO basketball and as such ISO football, because it's essentially what the split end is, right? The split end is really ISO football. He's out there by himself. He's usually on the line of scrimmage, far away, and there's usually one guy over there. Now, they could double cover that guy, which is great. Helps you with spacing on the other side of the formation. But it's not always beneficial because you might trust your guy to win one-on-one. It is really football distilled to its purest form. And I mentioned that you can win with people and you can win with scheme. If you're someone who believes that my player is better than your player, you're going to want them ISOed as much as possible. Because that also means the corner can't get any help. That's also what that means. Now, he could have a safety roll over top of him, which is great. But again, that receiver split ends way over there. If you have to roll safety coverage to a split end every play, the spacing really opens up on the other side of the field, which is good. So either that your player who's out there in ISO, either he wins or he takes so much attention that it makes it a lot easier on the other side of the formation.
0: Okay. Okay. I, I get that. I think what, you know, makes me scratch my head is that there were times in not uh or not so distant, you know, past where the Bills during the drought maybe didn't have, you know, the most desirable receiving talent. And so the idea that we were putting a guy in that position on the regular and expecting him to either command respect from the defense or to win in that scenario, you know, it doesn't make me think particularly highly of the offensive coordinators at the time.
1: Well, you can't go through and just not call any plays that rely on your people to win one-on-one. You know, at some point, it's like I said, the underlying part of this is the rock, paper, scissors, right? Calling the right thing for the right coverage and things like that. But there's a layer over top of it, and it's your talent, and you can't really get away from it. You can't call a play that has a passing concept that never requires your person to just win straight up one-on-one because this really is about Jimmys and Joes just as, as much as it is about X's and O's. And if you don't have... You like that? Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's? Girl. Oh, girl. I know that you liked it. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, feel, I feel pretty good about it. I'm not going to lie. So there is an element of Jimmys and Joes to this just as much as there is an element of X's and O's. And you can't just say... I'm never going to call a play that relies on my player to win because even think about it this way, an offensive tackle versus a defensive end. If a defensive end wins the battle, three out of 65 snaps, that's good. That's good for the defensive end. And there's a lot of parallels, ironically enough, between cornerback play versus wide receiver and defensive line play versus offensive lineman. A lot of parallels between those two things. And so if you have a wide receiver who wins the very minute probability of the time, right? He wins his route against Stephon Gilmore, right? He wins his route two out of 65 times. That can be enough. I don't think any of us would would say that Stephon Gilmore is not a better corner than John Brown as a wide receiver. John Brown's a good receiver. I like John Brown. Stephon Gilmore is one of the best corners in the game. Stephon Gilmore is a better corner than John Brown is a receiver. That doesn't mean John Brown's never going to win, though. He might have a lower probability of winning, but he's still going to win sometimes. No corner in the world. Darrell Rivas in his prime lost to Stevie Johnson. A decent amount. And so because of it, even if your talent isn't necessarily at an elite level, you can't just avoid calling plays that rely on your people to win because it's not an impossibility. It might be an improbability. But as we established on the last pod with the running backs, all it takes is one. You know, John Brown burns Stephon Gilmore like bad toast in the New England game, the second New England game for a huge touchdown. It doesn't matter if Stephon Gilmore locks him up 98% of the time, if he wins twice, and has those be the results? That's a success. Let's take our quick break. We will come back,
0: and then we will talk a little bit more specifically about the wide receivers that we have in the room uh, at One Bill's Drive and what their strengths and weaknesses are and all of that stuff. Okay, stick with us. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T, along with me. Bruce Nolan, you can find me on Twitter at Bruce exclusive. Okay. So we have spent some time again. We can't, we can't dig into this, you know, to a level that we probably would like to, or that some others maybe wish that we were doing because we just don't have the time or the medium or the ability, but we've talked about route concepts. We've talked about zone beaters. We have talked about man beaters. We talked about the responsibility of the receiver to, in general, to, to win at least occasionally. And we've talked about, you know, the, 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 design of the plays and how you can win with people, you can win with scheme, blah, blah, blah. Okay, we've 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 covered that ground. So at least we have laid some level of foundation here. Let's talk about specifically Stefan Diggs here, because he is the one who sort of motivated me and inspired me about wanting to learn more about this, about this stuff. Stefan Diggs is lauded as being really, really, really good, like a, a great player. And sometimes I think people start to connotate, and I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say this is wrong, but they start to think, okay, a great receiver, that means he beats his man one-on-one. Like That's the image I think people start to get in their mind, is this is a guy who is just losing the person who is straight up across from him at the line of scrimmage, down in, down out. Well, that's not always The defense that that player is going up against. Sometimes they're getting double teamed. Sometimes they're running against zone. And so I I, I wanted to know, are there things in general that Stefan Diggs does that is not just he's shifty and kind of deceives guys and sets them up and then turns another way? You know, that's to me, it sounds like really, really good, receiving traits but a lot of that is about whenever you have a guy who you're trying to get away from who's right in front of you what about like finding soft spots and zones and stuff like that what are all the things that stefan Diggs does so well that make him such a valuable
1: highly thought of receiver the first and most obvious is the one you already talked about it's the ability to shake man coverage it's the ability to understand blind spots it's the ability to set up a player, the ability to be sudden and maintain speed out of your breaks. You know, I, I did a lot of work on Jerry Judy this year in the 2020 NFL draft class. And I really think that if Jerry Judy hits his ceiling, he becomes Stephon Diggs. I really do. I think they're I think they're very similar players. And I think Jerry Judy can win on the outside. I think there's a lot of people who think he's a slot player only. I do not think so. But I think that Jerry Judy's ceiling is Stefan Diggs. So we just. One of the reasons I'm okay with the trade is because if Jerry Judy was there at 22, we all would have flipped our lids and been very exciting. Am I willing to pay an additional capital on top of 22 to guarantee that Judy hits the ceiling and becomes Stefan Diggs? Yes, I am. And that's why I'm okay with the trade. And one of those traits is being able to separate from man coverage. The other one of those traits is being able to make contested catches against man coverage. What happens when you don't separate? Do you have the body control? do you have the ability to spatially know where you are relative to the ball and where the corner is relative to the ball to be able to make the correct move to get the ball in your hands? Yes, he can. And that requires a level of hand-eye coordination and body control that is necessary to make contested catches. Finding soft spots in zone is a big part of this. It's ability to see things while running. So, One of the things that I think is interesting when we talk about speed with receivers is that play speed is different than 40 speed. And one of the reasons that is is because when you have things like option routes, okay? Or you have things like zone coverage, you have to be looking and thinking while you're running. That has a tendency to slow people down. If you're jogging and you're also doing calculus, that has a tendency to make you run slower than if you weren't doing calculus, And if you're running a route and you are supposed to make a route decision based on coverage, you have to be evaluating the coverage while you're running. But you also can't be evaluating it so significantly that you allow your physical mechanics to break down while you're running the route. One of the things that you hear a lot of people talk about when they talk about route running is it's a go route until it's not. And this talks about the way that you want all of your, you want all of your releases to not tip off what route you're running. When you get off of the, the, when you get off of press, which is fairly common in the NFL, when you get off of press coverage and you get off the line of scrimmage, you want those first couple yards to look exactly the same, regardless of what route you're running. And part of that is Stefan Diggs' strength is that he can make every release look like a go route. And one of the ways that allows him to get open is not just I'm fancy with my route running at the route break, at the top of the route. I'm also identical with the route in its early inceptions. In the first two seconds of the play, the corner just got toasted off the line and still doesn't know what the route is. That's good. Stefan Diggs can do that and he can run fast and run the same way every time keep all of his upper body mechanics and lower body mechanics in line while he's evaluating coverage that allows him to be good against zone these things like this allows him to say you know what i think this is i think this is cover 2 just because it's zone doesn't mean you called the right zone where you're going to sit on a route is different depending on the type of zone you're looking at If you're going to sit against cover two, you're going to sit in a different spot than you're going to sit against cover three. That's just the way the the route would ideally develop. It's going to look different. If you say, okay, I have a deep safety, that's a lot different than, okay, I have two deep safeties. Yes, you still have deep zone, but cover one versus cover two is going to look a lot different for a wide receiver and it's going to make you make adjustments and you have to see things at the same way that your quarterback sees them. And if you have a lower probability of seeing that correctly, you're not going to see the field as an NFL receiver because you're going to be in the wrong place against zone coverage. There are certain quarterbacks that are better against man and zone, and there are certain receivers that are better against man and zone. But don't let Stefan Diggs' skill set make you think he's only good against man. Now, mind you, if he was only good against man, it would still be a big benefit because Josh Allen's Versus cover one and Josh Allen versus cover zero, which are man concepts. That's where he struggled the most last year, which is one of the reasons why Stefan Diggs makes a ton of sense, even if he wasn't good against zone. But he is.
0: Awesome. That is that is just about exactly what I was hoping we were going to get out of this conversation today was a little bit, uh, you know, okay it's a scouting report, but it's, it's not just a scouting report. It's explaining why those things are important and how they apply, you know, like one thing that I think that we hear a lot about receivers or that we were reading or that people were talking about, especially whenever we still had pick number 22 was about how receivers stack guys. So that's an example of something that's like, okay, I, I mean, I think I get what that means, but I, you know, there's probably something to it that I that I don't get because I've never been educated on it. So, since I brought it up and you know I feel like we can't not explain it now. Do you want to explain what stacking guys means whenever you're talking about a receiver and what or whether that's a desirable or not trait for them to
1: be able to do? Getting open on a vertical route is not about running fast. That's part of it. But this idea that fast guys are good vertically and that's like all it takes is one of the myths in football. It's like you need to have a big running back to run on the short yardage. That's a myth. You need to be a big receiver to play well in the red zone. That's a myth. You need to be a fast guy only to be a vertical receiver. They see, oh man, he ran a 4-4. That's a vertical guy. I mean, it might be. It might not be. there's, There's technique to vertical running just as much as there is technique to other running. People think that somehow it's just running fast. Well, stacking is part of that. The ability to stack a corner is the ability to get on top of them To be able to allow the quarterback to make a throw that has a larger margin of error. So if you are lining up against me and I run past you, but you are now off my right shoulder, that's different than if I stacked you. If I stacked you, you and I are now forming a line. That is perpendicular to the line of scrimmage. That's what stacking means. If you think about it, if you're looking down on the field and the the line of scrimmage is a horizontal line going left to right, stacking would be the idea that at some point, the receiver will be on top of the quarterback from your perspective. Sorry, on top of the cornerback from your perspective. Stacking them, which means now the quarterback can throw it to the boundary and you can get a shot at it. He can throw it and fade it to the inside, and you can have a shot at it. No matter where the quarterback's going to play it, you're going to be in between, as a wide receiver, the corner and the ball. Which means if the corner wants to make a play on it, he's got to go through you, which will lead to pass interference calls. You want to stack people on vertical routes. You don't want to leave it open to the idea that the, the corner can adjust and run around you. He can use his recovery speed to get around you. You want him to have to go through you. That's part of stacking. I want you to have to go through me to get to the ball. It's a little bit like post, again, it's, it's like post playing. It's like being on the post. I am now using my body to box you out. It's a little bit like that, only you're running.
0: Got it. Okay, awesome. And I'm assuming that that's something that Stefan Diggs is okay at too.
1: Yeah. He's a great player. He really is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. Well, we will go ahead and wrap it up here. Uh, Bruce, we appreciate you playing hurt this week and, 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 gutting it out for us. So we have some content and things people can listen to everyone. Everyone's very appreciative of that, including myself. Thank you for uh, sticking with us and enjoying this podcast with us. We would love to hear what you think of it. Please hit us up on Twitter and let us know what you think of the pod. My name is Nick bat. You can find me at N I C K B A T.
1: I'm Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce exclusive.
0: And until next week, when we are back, and uh, providing you guys more content next week's actually a special edition podcast bruce is going to be uh not with us at least not for both episodes things could change you know schedules and all that stuff especially with breaking news but as of right now we've got something special coming up with it i'm working on so excited to share that with you guys and tell you more about it as it gets closer but until then as you are going through this another week of quarantine and going through the weekend and then waiting for us to drop at the end of next week you know, uh, we're all watching Tiger King and other things like that, and, and Carol Baskin or Peter, and experiencing, you know, uh, some of the craziness that's out there, and, and trying to remain entertained. Well, you know, I, well, I got something that I think would entertain you, uh, because uh, right before we started recording, I caught Bruce uh, on a hot mic, and this is what he had to say. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like-a do the cha-cha.